Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before we talk about voice today, which is a topic I'm very fascinated by, please know that subscribing, writing a comment, rating us, it really all does help us out. If you'd rather DM us, ask us why it helps out, or ask us a question, suggest topics, you can write us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers. You can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at Story Thursday or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can find me, Josh, on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. Another podcast I'm outside today. I'm enjoying the beautiful Southern California weather. So if you hear birds chirping or you hear anything in the background, that's what it is. It's actually a nice wish fulfillment for me because I can see you outside. That's mm-hmm. lovely. I haven't been outside in many, many days. I went outside to get the mail today, and I was like, oh, God. Ah, what is this? <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's nice. It is very nice. What are we talking about? Voice. We're talking about voice, voice today. I'm really excited because this is a topic that I'm sort of just coming into in terms of realizing quite how important it is. It's something that I think we all talk about. We talk about it in school when we're learning how to write something we study. It's something a lot of people like reps and producers will often talk about like, oh, you you just have a great voice or so-and-so has such a great voice. And now we're going to kind of break down what that even means. What does voice mean? Is it something you can teach? Because that's also kind of an interesting thing to talk about because I think it's always suggested that voice is just an inherent thing you have or you don't have. And the more I think about it, the more I'm sort of on the fence about that. Yeah, this is, I'm actually pretty excited to talk about all of this and dive into this and just explore this. I have, I have a couple anecdotes. I have some things I want to talk about. I have examples. Yes. Anecdotes. Yay. But we have some things to talk about before we jump into voice because I have to bring something up. (gasps) This week in writing? Sort of this week in writing. Go. This week in writing, I watched a show. <laughs> so it's not this week in writing. It's this week in watching. <laughs> it's this show called Calls on Apple TV. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's so fucking interesting because I'd never heard of it. And my friend wrote me. He was like, you have to watch Calls. I was like, okay. He's like, tell me if I'm crazy. And basically, let me just real quickly read you the description of Calls. It's told through a series of interconnected phone conversations. These conversations chronicle the mysterious story of a group of strangers whose lives are thrown into disarray in the lead up to an apocalyptic event. Oh, shit. Is there anything more in that I would want to watch? So you sent me the trailer of it the other day, and it's literally just there's no visuals to it, right? No. It's like a fucking podcast, but there's just like weird swirling visuals like like Oasis music videos from the 90s where there's just like weird psychedelic things happening. But it's really engaging. It's like 15 minutes each episode. Hmm. And I just highly recommend it. Just even from like a writing perspective, it's like how do you keep people engaged? And they kind of end on cliffhangers. I don't know if they're cheating. I don't know if it's interesting. I need you to watch it. I need other people to watch it. I will definitely watch it. And I'm very curious why they decided to do a quote-unquote TV show about it versus doing a podcast. I mean, obviously a TV show has a larger audience, so they really must have – it's Apple TV. 
right? Apple TV. They must and have I really think, believed in the material, but. Yeah, I think what happened was uh, Tim Cook opened up a vault and some money fell out of it. And he was like, what do I do with this? And they're like, I don't know, give it to that one fucking person to create this one thing. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And now we have calls. That's <laughs> Well, in my in my weekend watching, then just so you can't one up me on mm-hmm. having done homework on things. Yeah, I watched Invincible this week, which is a new Robert Kirkman comic book that is now a animated show over at Amazon, and it's very cool because it feels like an old kind of '90s Capcom uh, like superhero show, like an X Men or anything like that. But then it very quickly takes a dark turn, and it's very rated R. And the writing, I think, is so on point and very edgy and modern. And I think they're taking that old 90s Capcom that you're used to and trying to make you feel comfortable in that. You're like, oh, look over here. We're the same. And then just suddenly flipping expectations in a really cool way. Both me and Paul, when we were watching it, we at the end, we were both like, holy shit. <laughs> like it was oh, wow. a very visceral verbal reaction. So I can't watch it with my my child i don't think she'll understand any of it to be honest all right that maybe i can watch it with although there's blood there's lots of blood although it's cartoon blood i don't know if she registers that no blood's blood all right all right well let's uh, talk about voice then (laughs) (laughs) all right this has been a topic we've been wanting to talk about for a while and i think it's become sort of more important lately because honestly we were sort of saying like well where's the first instant you realized that voice was important and i sort of feel like that's a twofold question one is that people kept saying to me and by people i mean producers and reps saying like people like to buy scripts that have a voice to them it's really important that people see that your voice is on the page and they could never really explain what that meant and it was always just assumed i knew what that meant and i pretended like i did know and I think mostly I just interpret it as, okay, they just want good writing. But that's not really it, because you can be a fantastic writer and still not have voice, which I think is very interesting. And the kind of second moment for me, I realized it was very important to our business, was when I started hiring writers myself and having to read samples myself. And I was getting those you know, dozen samples across my desk that we talk about producers have all the time. and. I was realizing that in all of that reading, the thing that would separate one script from another was not structure, was not even really dialogue or can this person write effectively, it was voice. So we're gonna talk about what that means and why it's sort of separate from all the other writing skills you might have. Damn, I feel like we need to just start with the question, what is voice? Yeah, what is voice, Josh? It's weird because I feel like you can read something and say, like, you can be like, oh, that person has a voice, but it's very hard to explain. It's like almost describing a color. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a writer's unique perspective that comes out in dialogue, but also in description. And it just kind of permeates the entire script. And so I guess that's the best way I can describe it. And I would also say it's consistent across all of their scripts like i Mm. i feel like if you have a voice it's in everything yeah like you know it's a josh hallman script when you read it i mean that would be the hope i I don't know it's fucking hard to explain it's a weird thing i think saying describing it it's like describing a color is really accurate it is very hard to pinpoint and i think the best way 
that we can really start talking about it and explaining it is through examples because it is something visceral that you sort of feel and, and see on the page. But I agree with you. It is someone's personality that's displayed on the page. It's also their wealth of experience that just kind of comes out and is unique to their life. It sort of comes out on the page and the way they describe things like the way that, you know, I describe the outdoors that you're currently sitting in is idyllic whereas you would probably describe it as really annoying <laughs> and so you and i have different descriptions of sort of the same experience and so that difference is where voice comes in on the page i think and you're right it creates a very specific tone mm -hmm. as well like that to me is sort of the biggest thing about voice is it creates a tone because in that previous example of having re having to read all of these samples that were coming my way to hire a writer what was interesting is that a lot of the tones of these things are the same. It's very one note. It's very well executed. This person clearly knows how to write a three act structure of a script, but it's lacking umph. It's lacking pep. It's lacking a voice, <laughs> you know, it's lacking personality. And so very quickly, these samples started sounding all the same because they were just all well executed without having this extra umph to it, this voice. Yeah, that sounds right. I used to think that voice could only, like early on, I didn't really understand voice. And I was like, okay, that comes through in dialogue only. Like it comes through in character. That's what I used to think voice was. But then I, I know that's not the case now. And even, you know, if you go on like screenwriting Twitter or something like that, and everyone's like, just get the reader to turn the page, to turn the page. Like so much, that's voice. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. your... That's your voice that's making someone, I mean, of course, it's an engaging story, but at the same time, it's got to be an engaging script. Yeah. Let's go into some examples. I think that's the only way to talk about this. I think so, too. So this is no surprise, and I'm just throwing this out there because this is like, I feel like everyone's kind of points back to when it comes to voice. The doctor, Shane Black. Yes. Not really a doctor, but maybe he is. <laughs> the doctor of voice. <laughs> doctor of voice. I feel like with Shane Black... And I probably don't really have to explain this too much, but he was definitely the first writer that I had read or screenwriter that I was like, oh, my God, like you can do this in a script. Mm. And once those things started to kind of click in my head, a lot sort of changed for me. I'm just going to read you the first uh, couple lines of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. We fade in. City of Angels lies spread out beneath us in all its splendor like a bargain basement promised land. Camera soars, dips, winds its way slowly down, 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 bringing us in over the city as we cut to the main titles. So good. I didn't do a great job of reading that. That's okay. I was still excited. Thank you. But, <laughs> you know, that shit already sets the tone. Like, this is City of Angels, lies spread out beneath us in all its splendor, like a bargain basement promised land? Are you mm. fucking kidding me? That's beautiful. That's poetry. It is poetry. It is. It's just like a bargain basement promise land. Like these things that conjure up these images in your head and you just know, okay, this is the tone of this. This is where we're going in this story. This is what the writer is bringing to the table. I'm in. Yeah. The examples that I'm about to go into do a very similar thing that that does in that he completely editorializes, right? Like you could very easily see the beginning of Lethal Weapon being we're in Los Angeles and that, like, that's it. Like city of angels. Yeah. Or 
we see the cityscape of Los Angeles. And that's the opening description. And what he does is his, he wraps opinions around it. He wraps a, a, a feeling around it. And that's, as you we get into these examples, that's where the voice comes in. So my first example is from a script that I read fairly recently for our Act 2 script club that we do called Get Home Safe. And it's written by Chrissy Hall. And it's this script that uh, Eric Heisserer is attached to produce. He is the Academy Award nominated writer of Arrival. So kind of a big deal. Ultimately, I feel like the script isn't really that great, but it got a lot of attention because Hall's voice is really great. So let's take a look at what that means, right? Let's look at, for example, the cold open of this script, Get Home Safe. The static spin of a tired turntable swells, giving way to the bright, idealistic, finger-snapping sound of a forgotten era, a simpler time, a nostalgic age, back when men were men and women were dames. Happy as a clam, we hear the 1926 recording of Nick Lucas singing the classic, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. So that's, those are the first two paragraphs of Chrissy Hall's Get Home Safe. And again, she does what Shane Black does so well, which is she adds personality. You could very easily see this opening being simply this. The turntable spins, playing a jaunty tune. We hear the 1926 recording of Nick Lucas singing the classic blah, blah, blah. So it's the exact same information. It's just conveyed completely differently, right? And the difference is that Hall editorializes. She's not just conveying information to us by telling us what we're seeing or simply what's happening. She's telling us how to feel about the information. She's putting us fully in that world. So before I even know what song is about to play, I understand what I'm hearing. Which if you think about it, is kind of incredible feat in writing to be able to, to pull that off. But that's what voice is. You're adding atmosphere. You're not just telling the reader, hey, this is what's happening. You're also telling them how to feel about it. You're not saying, this is great music. That's telling me it's great music. That's not showing me. What Hall does instead is she says it's bright, idealistic, finger snapping. She uses words simpler, nostalgic to explain the era of the music. So she's really trying to put me there. Now let's look at like a cold open that has much less of a voice, I think, just to see what the comparison is. I'm gonna read from The Legend of Mulan. <laughs> I, thought you were gonna, I thought you were gonna tell me like one of my scripts. Oh my God. <laughs> no, no, your, your scripts have a lot of voice, this I think. This is father-daughter day, here we go. <laughs> I think Josh Hallman, for the record, has a fantastic voice. Thank you. But this does not. Legend of Mulan. It's actually the script that the live-action Disney movie is based on. So it opens, Kwa Mulan, early 20s, tall, strong, and full of determination, gracefully carries heavy pails of water on a stout pole balanced on her shoulders. Her long, dark hair falls down the back of her simple but neat robe. There's something carefree and almost girlish about her not yet worn down by adult worries. Mulan heads across the courtyard toward a well-kept house past a magnolia tree in full bloom. A furtive movement out of the corner of her eye, Mulan tenses, looks, nothing out of the ordinary. She relaxes. Suddenly, a middle-aged man holding his own stout staff darts around a corner and attacks with a yell. Hopefully you can kind of hear the difference 
in the two openers. Yeah. If not, like, imagine the opener kind of sounded more like this. Hua Mulan bites her lip, groaning slightly under the weight of two heavy pails of water that she carries on a pole over her shoulders. She wobbles, but corrects it, refuses to give up. There's something innocent to the way she moves, unburdened. This, the hardest thing she's ever had to do, carry water. She trudges across the courtyard toward her house, ignoring a magnolia tree in full bloom. Then she sees something. It's fast, out of the corner of her eye. She looks, but sees nothing. She keeps trudging. Then a middle-aged man darts around the corner and swings his staff at her with a yell. So again, that's the same information, right? Wait, did you rewrite that? I rewrote it. <laughs> did you rewrite all of Mulan? Let's watch this shit. I mean, I would love to do that. No, I, I just wanted to see what the difference is if you show us that Mulan has determination versus simply just saying she has determination. And in that version, you're not telling me a list of descriptions. You're showing me by the way she bites her lip, by the way she wavers, but refuses to give up. So instead of saying there's something carefree and almost girlish about her and not yet worn by adult worries, if you say something like there's something innocent to the way she moves, what you're doing there is you're connecting the feeling you're supposed to get about Mulan to action. So you're not just stating a fact. There's something carefree about her. You're saying there's something in the way she moves. And I think that clue, that like kind of tying it to action also can really, really help you sort of add voice to your character descriptions. I don't even know how I'm going to follow up my second example <laughs> with that, but I'm going to try. Well, actually, let me say this. Something that I think you touched on, something that my manager says he, uh, shout out to Jay-Z, he'll always say, do an emotional check-in where you're always checking in with the character, feeling, connecting the dots of like, how does your character feel? Tell us how your character feels. Hmm. Show us how your character feels. Like basically exactly what you said, but the, the way he always says it is emotional check-in, emotional yeah. check-in. And I love it. Anyway, this is from J.J. Abrams. Yes. The TV show Alias, I was actually going to pull out a, a, a forgotten script of his called Flyby. Not forgotten, just an uh, unproduced uh, script. But And then I looked, and I was starting to read Alias. I'm so excited. Here we go. I'm only going to read just a little bit. Over black, we hear a rapid, erratic heartbeat. Instinctively, we react to this. The scariest sound in the world. It is the sound of fear close-up of a woman's face. In slow motion, she's scared to death, eyes wide, looking right at us. Her hair dyed red in, in an ethereal aura because she is underwater, being held underwater. We study the fear in her eyes. More than fear, actually, it's shock. Shock at the certainty that she is about to die. This is Sydney Brissot, 26. And unless things turn around real soon, the world is about to lose a hero. Oh my God, it's so good. That was awesome, right? That was amazing. Yeah, what's your, uh, how does your Tomb Raider one start? She just <laughs> copy that shit. <laughs> what's Lara Croft starting like? <laughs> I can't tell no, if that's I... an insult or a challenge. <laughs> no, it's, it's a challenge. No, no, but all seriousness, I love this open. I, I've, I've actually referred to this just to kind of like check myself because when I read it, I remember reading it for the first time and I was like, oh wow. And JJ does such a great job, in my opinion, of always creating 
an emotional environment at all times and you're always yeah. kind of engaged and you're you're wondering what's going on and he kind of, he really pulls at some heartstrings in all of his writing i think it's really great so engaging he's a great writer that's fantastic because what you see on the screen is you feel all of that but really what you're seeing is just a woman who's being held underwater and i could very easily see a lesser writer just writing that right there's a yeah. woman being held underwater she has red hair like and that's it. So that entire thing is all stuff that you feel on the screen that you're not actually seeing. And I think that's really the big difference is that voice in writing is telling us feelings. It's telling us how to feel about situations. It's not just conveying information. And that's the hard part because that's stuff that I don't think they teach you in screenwriting. It's something you sort of develop on your own. And some people do have it right out the gate and some people don't. I think Josh, you're actually someone who just had it out the gate. Like you have always had this sort of conversational back and forth with the reader from day one. And it's always been what I thought to be very brave. I had to learn to have voice more um, to like loosen up, which I'll get into as one of the kind of tenets of voice. But yeah, that was fantastic. More examples, more. More examples, I've got another one. <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. I'm not going to just let that go. <laughs> Can I just say something, though? When I was like just trying to learn how to write screenplays, I remember thinking like I could never do the conversational piece. And I just kind of like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I have to kind of stick to a traditional screenplay, meaning like very basic. It was kind of bland and very boring. And then it wasn't until I started to read Shane Black and some other scripts mm. that I was like, oh, and it was very freeing. And that was actually when I started to enjoy screenwriting was when I was like, oh, I can just do this. Like, this is it. This is what it is. If, if people don't mm. like it, that's fine. But I like it. And that's what gives me joy and happiness. Do it. I love that. All right. So here's just one more. This is just a very, very quick example. And then I just want to talk about one more thing after this. Yes. This example, I feel like, really sets the tone of the entire script. Mm and the feel of the entire script it is three sentences and arguably four and um it is written by a writer named shay hatton it is called maximum king it was on the blacklist years ago hmm. okay we open with close on a line of cocaine a crazy long line of cocaine long enough to kill a man long enough to kill an elephant a nose descends into frame a rolled up 100 bill snorts the cocaine the cocaine disappears inside this guy we still don't see his face from behind this dude jumps up and down three times pumps his fist in the air and sprints out of the bathroom <laughs> super 1985 that's great i just feel like that sets the tone absolutely when good writing is good it's just so impressive like yeah i mean again editorializing right it's not just a line of cocaine it's a line of cocaine that could kill a man and kill an elephant that's awesome. Yeah. It's just fun. And there's another writer named um, Brian Duffield. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a script called The Babysitter. And our third member of the podcast, Dave Levinson, uh, he and I were reading the script at the same time. And he was like, dude, did you see the, you know, like page 45 or whatever it was? And I was like, no, I'm like getting there. And he's like, you got to check this out. And on the page, it was just the letters WTF. And it took place after this really crazy part in the script and the font was like size 80. Oh wow. And I just remember thinking of like, damn, that's fun. 
and it's just it's like a unique twist you know that can only be done from certain writers and he's mm-hmm. one of them and I think he has a pretty good voice as well and he sets a good tone with his scripts yeah that's awesome that's really impressive I think it's Space Odyssey 2001 Space Odyssey Stanley Kubrick's script that like there's a whole if you've seen that movie it's so slow right it's just excruciatingly slow and there are pages that just have a single word or a single line and then it's just nothing wow and that's creating the pace of the script and that is incredibly brave i don't tend to do that one day i'm i might have the ovaries to do that but um (laughs) right now I, i i don't quite which something to think about too, which I was gonna bring up at the end, but I, it seems to fit here, is there's also an issue with like style over substance, as Paul Hollywood says in Great British Bake Off, style over substance. And I've definitely read scripts that do try too hard with voice. So I think a lot of what we're talking about, it's not for show. Like it really, ha- there has to be a genuine voice from you that you're bringing to the page. And these are just ways for you to kind of train yourself to get there and things to think about to get there. But I don't think the advice is to just like throw cool shit on the page and and that's voice. I think we can all tell when it's disingenuous and you read a script and it's just style over substance. So uh, writing's hard. It's like, it's like defining a color. <laughs> but we're going to do our best at talking about how to break down voice and actually apply it. Yeah. Those are my examples. All right, so how do you convey voice on the page? I think there are a few tenets to pay attention to. And the first is kind of what we've been talking about, that the voice is you. Think about if you are telling your best friend a story about something really cool. I doubt that you're telling them the story like this. And then I drove to the store. I parked in the parking lot. I walked to the front door where I grabbed a cart. While I was grabbing the cart, A guy ran out wearing a taco outfit and yelling that a dragon ate his mangoes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in. I see it. (laughs) You're only in because of the last bit, but I've bored you to tears to get there. (laughs) But imagine (laughs) you're probably telling this story with more excitement in your voice, right? You're saying like, dude, I was walking to the store and I wasn't really paying attention. And then bam, someone knocks me in the shoulder. I almost fall on my ass. And when I look up, there's this dude in a taco outfit yelling about how a dragon ate his mangoes. Like that's how you're probably going to tell the story. So that is voice, right? (laughs) Yeah. I really can't emphasize enough, I guess, like how important finding who you are on the page is. That's something you'll grow into and how much voice is really just bringing your opinions to the page. I think one script in particular of the writer that I actually did end up hiring on Tomb Raider as I was reading all of these samples, the voice she had behind the relationship of the main character and her younger brother was so specific. There was so much specificity to the way they were interacting that me as someone who's never had a brother that we were kind of of the same age and grew up together. Like I couldn't possibly know those things. So there was a personality to the way she was describing things that felt like that person had lived these moments and she was just putting them on the page. So when I met her, I asked her about it and she did start telling me about her siblings and how she drew from her own experiences. And you could really tell. So the number one kind of rule of voice is that it's you. I think the second, thing that I think about with voice is that screenplays are not meant to be super formal 
language wise. So I think let loose with the language. So I have a degree in history and literature, which means I can write a really good essay <laughs> and I can be good at being incredibly formal, right? <laughs> like history essays are boring. But in a script, you don't have to be formal and you don't have to be matter of fact. In a script, you just need to show personality. And I'm serious when I said I learned this lesson from you because I definitely came into screenwriting like just trying to write really well. And that's not the same thing. And Josh does so well at having this kind of very casual style. Well, sometimes you will like even address the reader. Like you'll write something and in your action scenes or in your dramatic scenes, you'll be like, man ryan just fucked up like you'll say things like like as if we're kind of talking to each other and that's really cool and i think i write less formally now because after reading how well it worked in your scripts i was like oh you can have this kind of freedom you can loosen up with the language wow yeah <laughs> i'm done i'm checking out right now wow all right cool which I guess sort of leads me to my third thing, which is now is not the time to have like perfect sentence structure and perfect grammar. <laughs> which you also learned from me. <laughs> I am always giving Josh grammar fixes. <laughs> he does not know what an apostrophe is. It's very maddening. <laughs> I, okay, carry on. <laughs> So don't have, don't worry about perfect grammar here. This is not the place to do that. Break up your sentences. I think your sentences can convey the pace of your scene if you're not paying attention to grammar. So I have two examples of this back to back. Haunting of Hill House by Mike Flanagan. Fantastic show if you haven't seen it. It's a horror show, but it's mostly just a character drama about a family that's falling apart. And... Uh, this is not the opening, but it's close to the opening. He writes, We float through the halls, past the grand staircase, past the large, ornate windows. The architecture is old, but the dressing is clearly 1990s. Small home improvement projects throughout the house, fresh paint on some elements, absent from others. We linger on details, children's toys, abandoned to the late hour, patched drywall, corners of the banister in the midst of renovation. So notice how the sentence structure creates pace, right? Just to have to read that, I had to slow down. So there's these slow, gradual movements to the way he's describing things to us that we can almost see the camera panning as he's talking in this very slow, deliberate way. And he does that with these kind of shortened sentences. We float through the halls, period past the grand staircase, period, etc. So it creates pace. And that is a trick I definitely use. And I remember it being a little bit painful. <laughs> I remember actually in very early days giving my script to someone and the way I used grammar, he was like, I don't think you can do that. Like, I don't think you can combine those two words. And I was like, well, but I am. And you understand what it says, right? He's like, well, yeah, but that's not grammatically correct. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> that's, that's creating the exact feeling I want from you. So that's the word I'm going to use. Yeah, you know, this is interesting because with uh, Haunting of Hill House, there's definitely a different pace and tone 
for something like an action comedy and something like a horror film or horror TV show. I actually just sort of went through this recently with my my last spec that went out, which was kind of like a darkish horror thriller type thing. And I felt really constrained at times because I felt like I couldn't kind of open myself up to my typical writing style, which was more conversational and editorial. And like, I couldn't get into a certain flow because I felt like I had to kind of create a pace Mm -hmm. with something else. And so I would argue that almost finding a voice is maybe a little harder in a horror film. Hmm. You do have to pay attention to, I mean, I would argue you have to pay attention to pacing everywhere. I think with your script, which was what was interesting, the conversations we were having is that you weren't really used to writing a horror script. Like you are very action adventure guy. And so it was trying to find your Josh voice, that kind of fun, adventurous voice in something that's supposed to have tension and slow, like quiet moments. And that was the hard part because that's not really where you're your voice is the strongest. So I think that was probably just like the learning curve, but I don't think you can't not have voice in horror. I just think it's just a very different skill set. Yeah, 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 for sure. You can definitely have it 100%, but also a different skill set. Very different skill set. Yeah, pace becomes so important when you're trying to scare the shit out of someone. <laughs> oh, totally. You can you can just feel it. Like, yeah, when you have that good pace, it creates the tension and mm-hmm. you're just like uneasy. Dave does a great job with it. Uh, Levinson, he's the master at the slow burn. You need to get Dave in here to talk about horror pacing. He'd be like, take your time. (laughs) The end, the end of the episode. (laughs) Well, let's, as you're saying, like, let's compare that horror show, which is brilliantly done by Mike Flanagan, to an action movie like Suicide Squad, which was written by David Ayer. So this is, again, one of the opening scenes of one of his scripts. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, but June comes to her light fading. She's surrounded by hundreds of skulls, cave bear and human skulls cemented together by crystalline deposits, wickedly beautiful. There's an altar. That's literally an exclamation mark. There's an altar. A cave bear holding two jars, one female, one male. June grasps the female jar, studies it in her hands. She breaks the wax seal and opens the lid, dot, dot, dot. Black wisps escape from it. June follows them with the beam of her headlamp back to the cave, where a woman scots with glowing animal eyes meet the enchantress, diaphanous, ethereal, garbed as an ancient priestess. June gasps. So that pace feels faster. Like, I have to read that with urgency. And I think, look at the word choices. Like, Mike Flanagan, when he writes horror and he wants us to be slow and deliberate to build tension, he uses words like float and linger. David Ayer wants to create urgency in his action movie. There's an immediate danger. So his sentences have italics and bolded words and capitalized words. Skulls is capitalized and bold in the sentence in the script where he says she's surrounded by hundreds of skulls. It's italic ends in an exclamation point. So in these three paragraphs alone, there are so many italicized sentences and underlined sentences and capitalized words and dashes and ellipses and that's really what's creating that kind of desperate pace let me kind of read you where those dashes are in just like that second paragraph it's italic underlined and exclamation mark of there's an altar and then dash a cave bear holding two jars dash one female one male june grasps the female jar 
studies it in her hands. Dash. She breaks the wax seal and opens the lid. Dot, dot, dot. Now the dot, dot, dot is telling us, like, there's a moment. There's a breath here. And then the dashes are just like, they're getting us to the next moment. And that's another way you can write voice is really just who fucking cares about grammar and sentences that make a lot of sense. You just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of my like three tenets of voice. I think if you can kind of incorporate those things into who you already are on the page, you'll start to feel a difference in your scripts. So they're not just expository, but also including who you are on the page. I agree. I have a quick story to say, to tell. Yes. This, you, this just, you just reminded me of this. Um, when I, I had written this uh, one script that like, I just kind of just threw everything into I fuck, the script called I Fuck James Bond. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a script after that. I was feeling myself. I was like feeling good about my life. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to write this next script. And I went to town with like bolding, capitalizing, underlining, everything. Just, it was crazy to the point where a producer read it and I, I was talking to him about it. And he was like, yeah, you know, we were going to work on it together. And he was like, man, like you really like, there's a lot of bolding and like, there's a lot of this. There's a lot, like it doesn't, there's not like a consistent, like why are some words bolded and others aren't and this and that. Mm. And I, and I jokingly said, Oh, there's a, uh, there's a key at the end of the, um, end of the script that, you know, you can reference. And he was like, Oh, okay. And like a couple of the people in his office kind of believed me for a second. I was like, no, I'm just joking. I was just basically really embarrassed by it. And it kind of put me in check where I had to look back and just kind of correct myself because this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the style or substance over style. Like mm. bolding is awesome. I love capitalizing certain things, but make sure it's like consistent and has a point. Yeah, I agree. And if we, we look at this David Ayer example, I think he does do it deliberately. For example, ju just to kind of emphasize what you're saying, because I agree, and I've definitely read a lot of scripts where it just goes crazy with that because it's like they heard that you're supposed to do that and that that will help create kind of some kind of urgency. But using it sparingly when you need to is where that's most effective. So in the David Ayer example, the paragraph, June comes to her light fading. She's surrounded by hundreds of skulls. That's the line that's italicized with an exclamation mark, and the word skulls is bold because... That saying, ah, June comes too, you know, she's, she was passed out. Now she's awake. Her light's fading. She's kind of fading out. And then, oh my God, we're surrounded by hundreds of fucking skulls. Like that's the, that's the feeling he's trying to give us with that italicized bold. If you're just doing that to do it and you don't have a big reason of like, you're introducing something new and exciting to this moment, but you're still bolding things, that's style over substance. Totally agree. I've definitely gotten to a phase because so after reading Mike Flanagan and the Haunting of Hill House script pilot, he uh, capitalizes things constantly. And Dave, actually, this is a Dave episode. We, I feel like that's just a message. We need to get Dave back on here. Um, Dave, friend of the show, we had a conversation about <laughs> like how he maybe like overuses them the capitalizations and i'm like no they're amazing and i started putting so many capitalizations in my scripts that in writers group actually trent i believe he was like i don't know taja like there are way too many 
capitalized words in here. It's starting to just look like one giant capitalized script. And like, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't know me. Mike Flanagan gets it. And then fuck you, <laughs> like, Trent. I had to, yeah, <laughs> to retake a look and be like, all right, maybe I was a little overzealous with the caps. And really, the caps. I I think Mike Flanagan actually maybe a little too liberal with them, but the caps are to highlight something important, right? Like in the previous example I read, that last paragraph of, we linger on details, children's toys abandoned to the late hour. Children's toys is capitalized. He wants us to pay attention to that in the, in the scene. So I have pared down my, my capitalizations, but I do use them quite a lot. I wonder what kind of freedom he must feel knowing that he's going to be able to direct these episodes, whether or not the writing is good or bad. He's like, fuck it. I'm doing this. I'm Mike Flanagan. I'm good. Yeah. I feel like that's what Zack Snyder does. Wow. Lay off. Sorry. <laughs> Lay off. I hope people aren't just more confused about what voice is. No. I, 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 I mean, it's, it really is hard to explain. Do you feel like it's, it's something a, that can be taught or do you feel like it's something you inherently have as a writer? I think it's, I think it can be taught. I just think it's whether or not you want to embrace it. Hmm. It requires an openness to learning to write in a different way. I think so. You almost have to unlearn things mm -hmm. and just kind of throw things out and say, okay, I'm going to just kind of add my own stamp on this. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're struggling with voice, if you feel like you may be one of those people, I sort of feel like a great suggestion would be to take a scene, maybe a scene from a movie that you love or a scene that you've already written and practice not having any rules whatsoever. Just throw them all out. Talk to the reader if you want to. Just get a little crazy. And maybe in doing that and loosening yourself up, you'll start to find where your sweet spot is in the process. I agree. As long as you're having fun and enjoying it, I think um, you can't go wrong. I really, yeah. I really believe that. If you're having fun writing, then people will have fun reading it. You know, it's interesting. I got that comment recently on a script where, where people are like, man, this script is so fun. It just feels like you had fun writing it. I was like, I did have fun writing. Is that coming through? Because I was, I, was I was having fun, but I was also terrified that the script was shitty. So it was a combination <laughs> of fear and joy. But yeah, yeah, you can tell if someone really enjoyed writing it or if it was just a thing they did to get paid i don't i hope i don't think we confused anyone but if you are confused email us at act two writers at gmail.com we'll <laughs> chat about it <laughs> we'll do a follow-up episode <laughs> <laughs> all right should yeah. i take us out yeah i guess we did it all right i'll take us out with the quote of the day what i love about original writing is you can really let out some of your deepest feelings. Sometimes you're amazed what comes up. You say stuff that you don't think as a civilized being you'd actually say. Oliver Stone. I love that. So apt. Yeah. So please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. Or me, Josh, on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.